Hello everyone, it is Mike, and I'm here with a new uh, From the Vault, the EE Patron that we're going to be putting up in the free feed, and this one's my episode. I have a series on Patreon called Mike's Tea Break, where I usually have an editorial while I have a cup, or in the case of this episode, you're going to hear here, here a can of tea and I give my thoughts in more of an editorial op-ed style over recent events. I have done them on the State of the Indies. I have done them most recently on the uh, hiatus of Ring of Honor. And then there's this one from August that we felt like it was timely and worth putting up here so that more of a wide audience can listen to it. This episode I entitled The End of the Performance Center Era. And this was after one of the many, many, many uh, batches of WWE releases. And in this episode, I talk about the history of developmental in WWE and how, at least in August, it seemed like it was truly the end of the NXT era slash the Performance Center as it was and as we've seen over the last four months. I was proven right, but I'm not here doing a victory lap. I'm here to let y'all listen to this. So if you don't subscribe to our Patreon, this is a sample of stuff that we put out on a weekly and monthly basis. And hopefully that you will enjoy this. And if you're interested, go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Throw us five bucks. We have... I know I have like 10 episodes of Tea Break up there, but we have hundreds of hours of content, and maybe you'll stick around. So that'll do it. He, without any more ado, here is Mike's Tea Break about the end of the Performance Center era. Hey everyone, it is Mike. It's been a while. I have a can of Misa Lightly Brewed Sparkling Tea, Black Tea and Mango flavored, and... A lot of stuff has happened, and I figured that be a nice time to have a cup of tea, or a can in my case, and uh, let's make sense of what's happened over the last 24 hours. It's kind of been a long time coming, I would say, and still somewhat of an abrupt series of events. So... What I'm talking about for those who are smart enough to stay off Twitter is WWE did another mass release of NXT talent last night. And when I say last night, I mean some of these people who were released had a taped 205 Live match that aired after they were released. So, great form by WWE as usual. But that happened the same day that friend of the show, several-time challenge coin holder, Oakan, discovered that Warner Media is was hiring a let me see if I can pull up this just right. I apologize with these. It's been a while since I went on, did one of these. I actually thought that I would have a weekend away from wrestling given my last week or month, but, you know, that's not how life works. Okay, so it's a 
Director of Scripted Development and Programming, based out of Burbank, California. And this was just posted earlier this week, but uh, Oat was the first one who uh, pointed it out. And the big thing here was they are looking for someone to head up their scripted television and creative oversight of AEW and all fronts and helping to facilitate workflow across various departments such as biz dev, marketing, PR, etc. So this seems like that this is someone that is going to be, they, they call it a director, more of a manager, like a brand manager for AEW as they have four other series in various stages of development for AEW with WarnerMedia, and that includes Roads to the Top, and helping expand into various ancillary businesses such as comics, NFT, EST distribution, streaming. Let's focus in on that streaming word a little bit later. So AEW is seemingly getting more into bed with uh, Warner Media right as... WWE has, in my mind, ended this era of the Performance Center, the Uncle Paul photos with newly signed talent. It seems like that something that a long time coming has finally happened, and we are on the road to see the end in some fashion, or at least significantly scaled back, the end of the WWE performance center so with the performance center we kind of got to talk about what they were doing before the performance center what the goal of the performance center is and then what the reality of the situation is so wwe much like wcw did uh they had what they called developmental and it is something that they've had I really dating back since the 90s. I personally don't know if they had one before that, but it seems like the, the, the first time that these developmental territories became a thing were, was in the 90s, and the idea was instead of hiring people and bringing them in, especially if, due to the death of the territories, you didn't have necessarily the ability to go... Roddy Piper, big star in Portland, the Pacific Northwest. He's already a guy. Bring him in. You kind of had to create your own stars. And the wrestling industry was not dissimilar to where things are now, where that there was a indie scene of various levels. There were other competitors, WCW, during that time period. And... It just became the mindset that the best way for them to develop wrestlers and to have their next generation of superstars was to develop them internally. So this really started in earnest in the late 90s, and the big places that were used were UPW out in California, home of both John Cena and Samoa Joe. That's just a fun thing that they both came out of the same wrestling school. And then later, Memphis. This was called Power Pro Wrestling. If you're someone that was reading uh, a lot of the great memorials about Bobby Eaton, who passed away this week, 
he was brought in to help out WWE. And this is actually kind of funny. Never had a WWF match, Bobby Eaton. But uh, he was brought into Memphis, the Power Pro, to be kind of a trainer. And this was around the same time as uh, the Shawn Mar- Michaels Wrestling Academy existed. So this was the first time that Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, was under McMahon contract, was with Memphis and Power Pro. William Regal spent time there, and it was kind of just like Memphis was one of the last territories to go, so there was already an infrastructure there. Jerry Lawler runs Memphis, and then he had Brian Christopher, and it just made a lot of sense for them to base it out of there. And while they had Power Pro, OVW became a thing. OVW, of course, is the school promotion based out of Louisville, Kentucky, and found by Jim Cornette and Danny Davis, and they were affiliated with WWF. Uh, let's see. how When did they lose that affiliation? I want to say that was like 2007. I want to say it was 2007. I'm just going to look this up right now. So, yeah, founded by Danny Davis, currently run by Al Snow, and enemy of Aaron Bentley, Matt Jones. So, 2008. So, only one year off. Good for me. So, OVW... Became, was the primary developmental territory until 2000. Uh, from 2000 to 2008, the longest tenure that really anyone has really existed as developmental territory. And nearly everyone who has been a WWE star of the last uh, generation came from OVW, such as Dave Batista, Beth Phoenix, Brock Lesnar, uh, Cody Rhodes, Dolph Ziggler. I'm just reading this off Wikipedia. Eugene, Cena spent time there, Kofi Kingston, uh, Mark Henry, uh, Zack Ryder, The Miz was there for a long, long time, Randy Orton, and I can continue and go on and go on, but Shelton Benjamin, there's another one. Uh, So this one was by far the most successful developmental territory that WWE ever had. But in WWE's nature of letting perfect get ahead of very good and wanting to be the big enemy of such, uh, they weren't entirely happy with this. There was a, there was an incidence such as uh, Jim Cornette slapping Santino Morello, which was a huge kind of thing. And this was, a thing that happened like in 2005 and it started to go on a downturn and Heyman came in there but basically the uh, the slap kind of set things along the road to end the affiliation there in 2005 WWE opened Deep South in Georgia which is this uh, I know Jody Hamilton passed away this week but uh, just a terrible developmental territory rife with hazing uh just god awful kind of uh place it was based in mcdonough georgia which i mean so atlanta based but not too bad not too bad and the idea was that jody hamilton who was in charge of wcw's training school the power plant would take over there but it lasted very short period of time and then WWE eventually, in 2008, after they closed down both uh, OVW and Deep South, and like the the weird thing was like OVW was supposed to be a finishing school 
while deep south would did like the preliminary training but that's where uh what's his name god i'm blanking on him hugh morris fuck why am i blanking on his name he's a terrible person anyways hugh morris uh enabling hazing through to uh florida championship wrestling and then uh an xt but florida championship wrestling it gets a lot of uh kind of rose tinted glasses it existed for five years it was in tampa in a converted uh i think it was when dixie supermarket and it was run by steve kern who is also known as one half of the fabulous ones one of the great tag teams of all time and in wwf was skinner and he also was a doink i don't know if that was just a gimmick thing but so fcw existed in tampa and it was a lot along the lines of how OVW operated, except it had a television show that was nationally syndicated on the Sunshine Network and Bright House. But it was another place that really... Oh, Bill DeMott's the fucker's name. Bill DeMott, Hugh Morris. He was really kind of insidious at the time because the, the big funny thing about it was that Bill DeMott became the head of the Performance Center when it was announced and because he knew how to use Microsoft Office, whereas FCW, you had Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes is not going to be someone, I imagine, filling out any spreadsheets. That's Rob Naylor's job for him. But at a certain point, really in 2011, 2000, uh, 2010, 2011, uh, word started going around that as Triple H, Paul Levesque started to get more and more power within uh, the company. I don't believe he was the COO at that time, but he might have been the EVP of uh, talent relations or just whatever it's called. Who cares? But uh, he wanted to do something different because he was of the belief that WWE and their developmental territories were letting the process down, letting the trainees down, and it was still very rooted. And the McMahon family's hated, most hated enemy, which is it was rooted in the basis of actual pro wrestling and not what the PC was. And his idea was that he basically wanted to have like this giant facility with all the trainers, with fantastic uh, services, with having full weight room, full PT, athletic training, all of that. And he basically wanted to have like this facility taking WWE truly in the 21st century and to fully abandon the small territory system where fcw would run shows around the florida area they would do training but it really was just in a lot of ways just an indie that had wwe people under contract and there was a lot of really good fcw actually if you're someone who is a big john moxley fan he kind of became one of the big stars of FCW doing a feud with William Regal should be floating out like on daily motion or something like that. But it was really awesome stuff. Like it was probably to date, I think with the exception of the Eddie Kingston feud, uh, my favorite John Moxley feud he's had in his career. But in 2012, they close FCW and they launch the performance center. And it was something that it kind of came very abruptly and when this was all kind of happening 
there was talks of this new NXT wrestling banner picking up the name from the failed sci-fi spinoff of WWE ECW. And they were starting to kind of change around how they taped NXT versus FCW. FCW, you could very much tell that you were like in a warehouse and that you see this just kind of dingy thing. Like they had like huge like former WWE pay-per-view banners everywhere and a giant, just a huge photo of, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Leo Kruger, Adam Rose as FCW champion. Like when I say like a huge banner, I mean, we're talking about this thing was like 20 feet long, but you contrast that with NXT and NXT is NXT at this point. I don't feel like that I need to kind of uh, hammer that point down just comparing and contrasting FCW filmed in a converted Winn-Dixie to NXT filmed on a set and it's night and day and this is when truly of uh, Paul Levesque Triple H took over talent development and took over the training and we had the performance center and we had NXT the thing is this was never completely about talent development WWE dating back to the 2000s as a part of their global hegemony wanted to have different ways of being the market dominant wrestling promotion across the world it wasn't enough to have these television syndicated deals it wasn't enough to have the twice a year European tour they wanted to have more because the McMahon family if there's one thing that they really love that is to make people think that pro wrestling is dumb and to control the viewing glass of which we consume pro wrestling so this idea and it never got past like the entire just like oh this is an idea phase but they wanted to have I believe five groups across the world that were running WWE shows and the idea was that you would have one in North America you'd have one in Europe you would have one in Middle East North Africa you would have one in Japan and you would have one in South Asia I think it was South Asia I don't think they were really gearing towards China at that point but another Asian brand and one in Mexico they wanted one in Mexico as well and the idea was they could shuffle people around. I remember like the one of the things is like they wanted to send Edge to Europe, which was like a wild thing. And it never really got out of the uh, starting blocks. It just kind of was like one of those ideas, one of those mini rumors that pop up and then kind of go away until we realized that WWE was trying to do it again with all the NXTs. And it's worth also putting in level context that when they started the performance center how quickly and how just overwhelmingly they started throwing contracts around and this is something that i don't have the exact numbers but colloquially wwe has fired or released over 100 wrestlers since 2020 aew's roster is not much longer or larger than the amount of wrestlers that wwe has just fired since COVID started and it's something where the idea then with NXT was they started NXT UK became one of the uh, 
big steps on the road to destroying the authentically built up uh, burgeoning European wrestling scene. They wanted to have an NXC Mexico trying to take on CMLL and AAA. They wanted to have a NXT China in South Asia, which is just just like one of the most insane ideas that they've had in a long time. And then NXT Japan. NXT Japan is a really, really fun one because NXT Japan probably was going to be the next one. And it was something that for years they were trying to either buy a Japanese promotion or hire away from Japanese promotions, promoters, trainers, and various other stars so they could run their own NXT Japan, which I could do a whole hour on how NXT Japan was just a terrible idea. But, you know, collect those paychecks, Mako. At least you're not booking Sendai girls in a terrible fashion like usual. So they had to hire all these people, and they elected to hire all these people because they were just banking, and they had, like, these far-off plans to run NXT Saudi Arabia. And they they felt like that they needed to have the wrestlers to do so but at the same time it was not just about like these plans it is as the market leader it was in their interest to have as much talent and as many wrestlers as they could under their own contract and not to allow a competitor to build off of these stars and lol ask (laughs) ask us how all that went over the last uh two years um so they started collecting all of these uh wrestlers i mean just from yesterday we had one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve who were released uh there should be some more according to the mat man over the next few days and this is just like right after the last one and that there is Rumors and speculation that the Fox Broadcast Network is incredibly unhappy with WWE because of the deeper relationship that WWE has with NBC Universal slash Comcast and their selling of the network to NBC Universal Comcast for the Peacock service. So very tenuous time, and it's all situations of their own making. WWE didn't need to have like this great plan of having a performance center in every continent, a chicken in every pot, a Kona Reeves under contract for six years. But they elected to do so because as a hegemony, they were in the pursuit of squashing and eliminating the thing that they hate hate most, pro wrestling. And as we're starting to reach kind of this conclusion of this performance center era... I make jokes about this all the dang time, but this is one of the biggest L's that uh, Triple H, Paul Levesque can ever wear because of the amount of money, the amount of time, the amount of screen time. I mean, they they were essentially given the Uncle Paul's uh, pet project two hours on USA Network each week as an as a deterrent against a competitor 
uh, it seems like that all things combined between the performance center, uh, the contracts, just the general upkeep of everything, and how it, and, and how Triple H for the longest time was the person who was saying yes and no on talent. That this was a nine-figure, nine-figure failed succession plan, and the biggest indictment of the performance center, even more so than the fact that they completely got washed by AEW when they decided to go head-to-head NXT. The, the I mean, completely just like pulling down someone's pants and laughing at their butt. But uh, the biggest indictment is the fact that the Performance Center, this great vaunted training center, supposed to be state-of-the-art, years ahead of its time. No one else in wrestling would have something like this, and no one else would be better prepared to go into the profession of professional wrestling than someone who was taught and trained at the World Wrestling Entertainment Performance Center. But when you start looking at the stars they had through NXT and the people who were claimed as success stories, uh, quotation marks, not a lot of them are from the Performance Center. I mean, Roman Reigns, FCW guy. Charlotte started in FCW. Sasha Banks did not wrestle a lot in FCW, but she was a part of that. And then the all these signings that they've made. I mean, Bobby Fish, someone who was released this week, closer to 50 than he is 40. Uh, Jonah Rock, hired really kind of before his big uh, exposure in North America. Uh, Jonah Rock, member of the Mighty Don't Kneel. Oceanic wrestler. I forget if he's from New Zealand or uh, Australia. I'm just going to say Oceanic because I will cover both. Jake Atlas is one of the like biggest fails of betting on yourself slash not realizing what the playing field is. Just getting his first shots at PWG and GCW and immediately signing to WWE. Uh, Ari Sterling, a.k.a. Alex Zane, almost 40, only really broke out because of a gif during the back uh, the backyard match. Conor Rees was under... This is a performance guy that they release. He's been under contract since 2016. Maybe even before that. When did Conor Rees get hired by WWE? I have to know this right now. That That's part of the thing about these tea breaks. It's also me learning myself. So, Conor Rees was hired in 2014. Seven years. Dude's now 30. He spent... The vast majority of his 20s at the Performance Center. And you just like, look at this. And you look at the other people they released. I mean, Mercedes Martinez, Asher Hale, a.k.a. Anthony Henry. And I think we're at a point now that if you're someone who signed as an independent wrestler in 2017-2018 with the way that the landscape was makes perfect sense but if you are someone like like Anthony Henry who I adore Anthony Henry I feel like it was one of the most underrated people on the independent scene but if you signed with WWE in 2020 and after everything that's happened 
if you sign then, what empathy and what sympathy should someone really have when everything was laid out in front of them? How much charity and grace should someone get for knowingly touching and playing in the poop? It's very hard for me to have empathy. I do, of course, like sucks losing their jobs, sucks the fact that this happened during COVID, like all of that stuff. I'm not soulless. I feel like I am not just completely cold on that, but especially for someone like Anthony Henry, who was about to retire. But at a certain point, it's like everything was out in front of you. Everything was there. And this isn't going to be it. WWE under Nick Khan as CEO, no matter what people will say, this is a company that is still led by a nearly 80-year-old person maniac who allegedly, allegedly is in some form of mental decline. There's the rumor that he's blind now. And he's, I mean, Vince McMahon, yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, I mean, Vince's mother, I believe, still alive and she's 100. Like, the genetics are there, but this is not someone... Who, is, who has had an easy 75 plus years. Nick Khan's there to get his friends' tastes, like Jeremy Horowitz, and to get this company as lean as possible. Because at one point in the very near future, could be tomorrow, could be five years from now, but at one point, the WWE will be out of McMahon family hands. And they will be most likely owned by NBC Universal and be used as a content factory. He wasn't very far off in saying that WWE is trying to be the MCU. But the problem is that it's WWE's pro wrestling. And in the end, it will just be a bad investment and a budget item for NBC Universal. But part of Netcon, the vaunted business genius that people. Our claim is, what is he doing? He's trimming the fat. There's no reason why WWE should have ever had this many wrestlers on their contract. There is no reason why WWE should have aspirations to have an NXT performance center on every continent. And there was never a reason why NXT had to go head-to-head with AEW. This is all a situation of the McMahon families own making and people wonder why I think that the wrestling industry will only be on solid footing and only will have an ability to rebuild into whatever professional wrestling will be in the 2020s until the McMahon family is completely rooted out of the business Triple H too he's not innocent so where's this leave AEW there is now all these waves of releases. We should anticipate more throughout the calendar year. They have all of these new shows that they're trying to put on here. They're getting further in bed with Warner Media. And that's another topic about is this a good thing for their long-term future being so reliant on Warner Media. But should they, with all these new con- uh, with all these new people on the uh, uh, on this scene, vast majority of them, 30-day uh, non-compete clauses. So in theory, they couldn't be at all out, but they could be at 
Grand Slam and Queens, how many of them really at this point should AEW sign? I think considering the, the Warner Media position and all the new programming, I don't believe we're going to be getting yet another wrestling show or entering wrestling. It does seem like that to me, and they've been doing this for a long time. They're going to try to like find other like cultural uh, light entertainment shows for TBS and Warner Media, and I think that's something that I've been saying this for a long time. This is going to be a part step to their in game of being on HBO Max because you're going to want to have that column on HBO Max of AEW. You want to have the Dynamites, the Rampages, quarterly specials, old pay per views, Road to the Top, Go Big Show. And now these other shows there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Shot at Brandy ends up getting one of those or if they make Road 2 or Countdowns into their own shows as well. I just don't expect it to be pro wrestling. I mean, they have four wrestling shows and their own attempt at developmental and dark. So out of these most re- out of this most recent list of uh, releases, I think I have three names here that I would pick up. Mercedes Martinez. I mean, she was the Joker at All Out. She is someone, she's on one side or the other of 40. She has a family. She had a decent to good job, to my understanding, outside of wrestling, and that's why she kind of picked and chose there. I I think she's the no-brainer here if she's not looking to get out of wrestling now. After that, uh, Leon Ruff. I mean, Adrian Alanis and uh, Liam Gray have been on AEW Dark and Elevation a lot. We need the full Skulk in here. Call up AR, see what Isla's up to, and bring the Skulk into AEW. And as much as I hate to kind of uh, say this person, because the, the, there is a whole idea that they are a PSYOP and a deep state agent, much like Sari, Jake Atlas. I think Jake Atlas is someone who's still incredibly young. We didn't get a chance to see what his ceiling was on the indies. I mean, we have, I have no idea what Jake Atlas says, like, best case scenario is. But there's just enough stuff there of Jake Atlas that I think you hire him. Uh, Zachary, Hen- I mean, Anthony Henry, of course, getting the workhorsemen back together and, and get J.D. Drake out from the clutches of the evil... Cesar Bononi, I mean, that's a positive too. Like, that's not bad. But if I'm picking three, I'm picking those three. And it'll be interesting to see what the next steps will be for AEW. And it'll be interesting to see how the Performance Center era of WWE winds down as off in the horizon, looming ever-present and coming closer each day. This is the reality that the McMahon family eventually will not be in pro wrestling anymore. And like Cato said, I believe we need the McMahons out of professional wrestling. Don't know how that translates into Latin. But the only way that I believe that professional wrestling, at least in North America, can come close to its previous peaks is the quicker that the McMahon family is out of wrestling. So thank you all for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, we will have our first like full week of the 
new Patreon next week with Light on Wednesday, unless Aaron and Nate have something else they're going to do this weekend. I don't know. And then sometime next weekend, I, I think we're going with some form of world tour with it, but we'll have the Rampage show. Anyways, have a good weekend and take care. Bye.